trials remind us of our desperate need for God. Our desperate need for God. Listen, we cannot do this life on our own. There's no way. We desperately have to call out God for wisdom. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Rick begins a 10-part series in the book of James, On the Ground Gospel, and it was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, June 17, 2018. Good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing great. I uh, want to remind you of a couple things. This week is going to be a busy week for many of us. Uh, you know, we're only nine months old, and so uh, many of the things that... Um, Maybe, if you will, a full-service church can offer. We can't yet uh, for a lot of reasons. But um, So what that means is like VBS this week are, is going to be up at uh, Fredericksburg, Spotswood. And so many of you are volunteering. Many of you, your kids are going there. So it's going to be a busy week. We're excited you're taking advantage of that. And next week, we're going to kind of do like a little mini VBS takeover here with our kids in our service. It'll be exciting. So make sure you come. Make sure you're a part of that. If you don't come because of that, we'll find out uh, where you live and come and pick you up. So don't, don't miss next week. Um, also, in the life of Caroline County, it's going to be an exciting week because this week is the fair. So if you haven't seen this, you haven't been to it, um, it's, a, it's a good time. So I would encourage you to go out. It's the 20th through the 23rd. In fact, we've got a little uh, flyer in here, uh, just a little advertisement about our church, which is really cool if you guys haven't seen that. And um, also, what I would encourage you to do is pick a night, or if you want to go all nights, that's great, but pick a night, grab a handful of these cards, the Have You Heard cards, and just ask that God would give you a couple significant conversations, uh, just to go up, have a good time, enjoy it, um, and just engage people in conversation. You know the easiest way to get people to talk is to ask them about themselves. Do you know that? People love to talk about themselves. Even the most humble people like to talk about themselves or at least like to share what's going on in the lives of their families or, or what they're interested in or whatever it may be. So ask them about their hobby. Ask them about their life. Ask them how long they've been in Carolina County. And next thing you know, things will start coming around to more personal things. And that's a way for you to invite people. So these cards, I want to arm you with these um, and make sure that you grab a handful of those and pray that God would give you a significant uh, conversations there this week. We're going to try to find time with our family to go as well, maybe a night or two. Um, also, today's a special day, right? It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. Uh, so now, uh, just as we celebrated Mother's Day several weeks back, um, Father's Day can be uh, a blessing, and it also can be a difficult day, right, for lots of reasons. Um, it can be a time where uh, maybe you had an incredible father and pro father who provided for you, maybe even a, a father who uh, grew, uh, raised you in the church and, and lived out his faith. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it out. Um, and, but many of you maybe grew up um, with a distant dad or maybe a dad that wasn't connected or even a dad that maybe left um, or a dad that was even abusive. And so I want to be sensitive to that today as well. Um, or you may be here today and your father was a beautiful blessing, but um, your father's no longer around. And so I want to pray today will be an encouragement for you today. Um, remember this, 
if for some reason you don't have fond memories of an earthly father, that there's a heavenly father. And he says he'll be a father to the fatherless. And um, he also says that um, where there's pain, he's there to comfort. And so I pray, my heart and prayer is for you today, that God would comfort your heart and heal that hurt in any way. For those who had great dads or have great dads, you would celebrate uh, that today and enjoy that time, okay? Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time today. God, I pray that um, your word will be proclaimed. Um, God, excited about sharing in James today. Uh, but God, I pray uh, that you would um, just allow our fathers to celebrate today, uh, the day that's been set aside to um, really honor them. Uh, for those that are here today that are missing their father, whether it's because of uh, they, they passed on, went on to eternity, or uh, maybe it's that hurt, that longing, always wanting to have that father uh, that just didn't happen. God, would you comfort their hearts? Uh, would you be a salve to their soul? Uh, would you encourage them today and uh, fulfill your promise that you would be a father to the fatherless? God, we, we know in your word that it says we can call you Abba, which is daddy. And so, Father, I pray we would crawl on your lap today and be encouraged. Father, I pray that uh, your word be proclaimed. It will take root and give forth fruit. And God, that um, I would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn to James 1, we're going to be starting our series of James uh, for the next 10 weeks. It's kind of, uh, go back that one slide. Go back that one slide, the first slide. Uh, we're calling it On the Ground Gospel. So you might want to ask why that is. And the reality is, is because it's really for all believers. It isn't really, even though it's, it's addressed to the 12 tribes uh, that disperse, it really is not written to a specific church, but it's really, a, it's really an encompassing uh, picture of some real beautiful Christian principles that we need to be living by. Um, and so it's really this kind of basic, on the ground, uh, just gospel fundamentals that you need to remember as you live out the life that we cause uh, as believers in Christ, or followers of Christ. Um, I will say as we, as we kind of get into the beginning of this, I want to kind of do a little quick overview before we read the text, and I want to share a few things. One is this, um, when you look at the book of James, really James had two major influencers or two main contributors, if you will, on this, this letter that was written. First is the teachings of Jesus. Um, Jesus, his, his, uh, his brother, especially really you'll see the, the, the picture of the Sermon on the Mount illustrated out in this many times. The second thing is really the book of Proverbs. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom over and over. In fact, it talks about knowledge. It talks about understanding. It talks about wisdom. Those three words over and over and over again. And so you'll see that, especially the first nine chapters. So if you're in your reading this week, I encourage you to go through the first um, nine books of, of Proverbs. Maybe reread those this week as we're reading through James. Read James as we're going through it. It's a short book. I've read it several times just going back and studying and prepare for this. I will tell you, it has a lot of one-liners, a lot of tweetable things in it, and it has a, just a lot of like, just kind of in your face, in your grill uh, type teaching. And so understand that as I teach, I have to honor the Word of God, and uh, you may feel like I'm stepping on your toes or getting in your grill a little bit uh, the next 10 weeks, but the reality is it's getting in my grill first and stepping on my toes first. So be encouraged that that's what the Word of God does, and we need that. 
Um, also, when you see the word true religion used in this, I know today we think of religion being a negative thing, and in lots of ways it can be, especially uh, people who say they're followers of Christ or say they're Christians and they don't really live it, um, and they're very judgmental or very hypocritical, and so I get that. But understand when James' time, when he was saying true religion, what he was really meaning is true faith. So when you see that word used in this book, think of it as an authentic, true faith. And I think it'll have a better meaning, uh, understanding for you as well. And then the last thing I want to share with you before we get into the text is this. When you look at 2 through 5, the chapters, it really encompasses 12 overall teachings that are really encouraging you to be wholly devoted to God. Um, and, and you really, when he's talking about wisdom in here, he's really talking about what Jesus talked about was fulfilling the law, was to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and to love his neighbor as himself. So you'll see that again flushed out in the text of James. So it's really important that we uh, understand that. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first 11 uh, verses of chapter 1. And then I'll share the big idea, and then we'll hit the ground running here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you uh, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exhortation, and in the rich in his humiliation. But like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Listen. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will see the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The big idea this morning is this. Uh, God tests um, the authenticity of our faith by trials. That's reality. It's interesting to me that James doesn't say if... But he says when, right? The old saying is either we're getting ready to go into a trial, we're in the midst of a trial, we're just coming out of a trial. So the reality is, I'll tell you, what I love about the Bible is it pulls no punches. It doesn't. It, it is grimy and messy, and it tells you the truth. In fact, the more I read and study the Word of God, and the more I live life to try to live it out, it is the one worldview to me that makes complete sense of our world that we're living in today. I mean, it, it makes absolute sense. And if people would really take the Word of God and read it for what it is and understand it and begin to look through the lens of it and look at our world, they're going to see it makes full sense. So this idea that God says, James is teaching us 
that God is telling us that there will be trials. There's no if, it's when. We're going to have trials in life. And we have all different types of trials. I like to say sometimes we have trials of perfection, meaning there's things that God allows to come into our life uh, because um, he's, wanting to, he's wanting to test us. He's wanting to, to grow us. He's wanting to stretch us, right? And there's other times of trials of correction where we have made stupid uh, knucklehead decisions, right? And we find ourselves in a mess. And so here is a correction coming, just like a father or a mother would do a child uh, to discipline them, to let, show them that they love. Let me give you a real quick overview of the book. Uh, James was written to encourage Christians in an increasingly hostile environment uh, to live lives dependent on God, not giving themselves over to the uh, uh, the, the real comforts of the world. And this is how it breaks down. Chapter one, we're going to see trials and Christians persevering that will move them into hearing, not just hearing, but doing the word of God. In chapter two, we'll see uh, that the sin of partiality and the relationships between uh, works and deeds. In chapter three, we'll see the taming of the tongue and the wisdom coming from God um, and not from our own hearts. In chapter four, we'll get a warning against worldliness and boasting in tomorrow and being arrogant. And then chapter five, we'll see a warning against trusting in riches and comfort, uh, the comfort that satisfies of our longings of our heart, uh, but in the end, just wither away and don't fulfill us. And then we'll see a call to patient suffering in prayer. And that's basic, the basic outline of James. But James uh, makes himself clear that who he is, he's a servant of God. He is a, uh, he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a bondservant. Now, you say, who is James? James, if you will, some people say the half-brother of Jesus, meaning that Jesus was born of a virgin, so he did not have share the earthly, same earthly father. But I, I want you to think about something. If you know your scriptures, you know this, that during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, James basically tried to kind of have Jesus institutionalized. There's a scene where Jesus is beginning to preach and teach, and he comes to lay hold of him, and they say, hey, your, your, your mother and your brother and your family are out here to come see you. And, they, and he, you know, Jesus flips it around and says, all of you are my mother and brother and sisters, right? But it's this idea that they really thought he was out of his mind. They said, hey, I grew up with you. You're just, you're just my earthly brother here. Something's not right. You're, you're claiming to be the son of God. Now, how would a guy who at one point wanted to institutionalize his half-brother come to a point now where he's writing about and saying he is the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning he is the Son of God, he is God himself? How could that have happened? Well, let's see. If we remember last week, if you go on the cross and get slaughtered beyond belief, and you're pierced in your side, and you're put in a grave for three days, and then, by the way, you rise again, then that may convince you that uh, he is who he says that he is. He is God. And that's exactly what happened to the uh, brother of Jesus, James. At one point, he didn't believe, and then he came to faith. In fact, we see at this point when he's writing this letter, they're in intense persecution. In fact, we know by church history uh, that eventually uh, James was thrown off the Temple Mount. He didn't die uh, from that. In fact, what church history says is that he was actually still praying for those who had tossed him off 
much like Jesus was when he said, forgive them, Father, for he does, they don't know what they're doing. And literally somebody came with a stick and crushed his skull in. So that's how James perished. And I think he knew a little bit about persecution, a little bit about trials. And so he has great authority to talk about that um, at the beginning of this chapter. We also see where he says the tribes dispersed. And what he really means is that uh, James was really the, the chief elder in the church of Jerusalem, the first a century, uh, first century church there, and that he was the main lead elder in that church. And, but what had happened was right after the stoning of Stephen, the, the um, different Jews, uh, Messianic Jews, began to disperse in the different areas because of the perse- persecution of the church. Now, what I want us to begin to see is there's, there has to be a couple lenses that we view um, our trials through. So I want to share a couple of those. You're taking notes. I want you to write this down. Write down two lenses that we have to view our trials through. The first one is this. As Jesus followers, we need to view our trials as a pathway that produces durability and maturity. He talks about this idea, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, and it has its full effect, will make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Literally, when it says count, it literally means to take hold of or to take authority over. In in other words, when we face trials, we have a decision to make. We can even understand that God is using this for our good, or somehow we can think that God has some evil intent, kill joy, that he wants to rob us of something. And we're going to see where James lays that out very clearly, that the latter is not the road we want to go down, okay? It's the road to understanding and count it joy. So we need to understand that God is providing trials for us, so it's a pathway to produce durability and maturity in our life. In fact, when you see that word steadfastness, it says complete, lacking nothing. It's really this idea of not perfection in the perfect sense, like Jesus was perfect. Because if we become perfect, then basically Jesus died for nothing, right? But it's this idea of progressing. It really means more of you need to be progressing and you need to be maturing in your faith. In fact, that word perfect is used seven times in this text. And through, I mean, through the book of James, seven different times. Okay? And there's two different words. There's a Greek word and Hebrew word. And what it really means is this. There's a difference between a wholeness and an integrity in your life or a life that's fractured and inconsistent. And so God takes us that's broken and we can't live for him. We have no capability of living. And what he does is he gives us his spirit. Then he begins to throw things at us and begins to perfect us, begins to shape us through trials and tribulations of our life. So he's wanting to make us more and more mature, making us more and more whole, living out that life. So we go from a fractured life, an inconsistent life, to a more whole, more mature, more a life of integrity. And again, when those things hit, we have a, we have a choice to make. Uh, I love to call it the gap, okay? The gap is what your expectations versus what reality is, okay? Now, we do this in relationships, okay? 
So if you're married or maybe you have a, a child or uh, maybe you have a close friend and there's some expectations, maybe they're unspoken expectations or maybe there are spoken expectations. And when someone doesn't live up to that reality, what happens? We, we're kind of let down, right? That's, I guess in some ways you can you could kind of describe, that's what a trial is. We're, it's going through something we didn't really expect to go through. It's not something we feel like we deserve to go through, right? It's something like, why is this happening to me? And see, we have a choice. We can listen. We can put trust in that gap, or we can put suspicion in that gap, okay? And just like in your regular relationships, if you don't put trust in that gap, what you're going to do is you're going to create an environment by which it's very toxic and unhealthy, Okay? And if you don't trust God that he's got your good in mind, okay, you're going to begin to think negative things about God. And what's going to happen over time is you're going to draw bitter, more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And you're going to draw farther and farther away from God because you're not trusting the goodness and graciousness of our Heavenly Father. So you need to trust our Heavenly Father. So that, that brings me to a point where it says, that are God and what he has done for us, the nature of who he is. He is a good God. He is a gracious God. He's a generous God. And so we need to understand when, when it says, if you lack, lack wisdom, ask, and he will give generously without favoritism or without reproach, and he will give it to you in an overflowing manner. In other words, he's going to be good to you. He's going to be generous to you. He's going to be gracious to you. Do you understand that wisdom from above is different than earthly wisdom? See, we, we process things here on earth and we think about only the here and now. We only think about our present situation. We only think about our, our situation where we're right here. But God has a different perspective. The Bible says that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts, okay? It's like the difference when someone's on the ground, right, and they're walking through a field, or there's a drone up ahead, and they can see the whole battlefield, right? That's the difference. We can only see 40 or 50 yards, maybe 100 or a couple hundred, but this drone can see miles ahead. God is outside time. He can see past, present, and future, and so he understands what's best for us and what's to shape us. And so when these trials come our life, we need to trust the nature and character of God. Let me, let me give you a, a, a glimpse. God doesn't just love us on a macro level. He loves us on a micro level. Let, let me try to explain. Listen, every orbit of every planet he's in control of, every temperature on every sun in all the different galaxies, billions of them, okay, out there in our universe. He's in control of them. But the Bible also says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, for some of us, that's a little easier, right? Right? I mean, but let's go back when you did have hair, okay? And then went through that stage of awkwardness. You didn't know if you should save it or comb it over or what, right? He's known all those stages. He's known the very number of hairs on your head. In fact, he cares about everything in your life. Uh, there's a verse in, in Psalms 139 I need to flip over to. If you want to flip over there too, you can. And I want to read it. It says this, 139.11. It says this, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
and the night is bright as day, for the darkness is as light to you. And then down to 16, it says this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Listen to this. We need to trust that God is good and that he's gracious and he's generous and he loves you. And if he's not going to withhold his greatest gift, as we talked about last week, his son, why would he want to withhold the other good gifts? And understanding it doesn't mean it's a name it and claim it gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when trials come, understand God's doing that for your good. He's wanting to chip away. He's wanting to sculpture you to be a reflection of his son. And he's allowing those things to come into your life for good. See, our God is a personal God, not just a corporate God. I remember in 2003, I got to go to Egypt, and I was in uh, Cairo, and I was there uh, with some missionaries, and I got to sit down and talk to a taxi driver, and for three and a half hours, we talked between me and an interpreter and him, and I got to share with him all the parables and the gospel, and he was listening intent, and I remember every time I got to the place where I would ask him if Allah would let him into paradise, he'd, he'd always say he didn't know. See, Allah to them wasn't a personal God at all, okay? And that the great thing about who we serve, the one true living God, is that he's a personal God. He cares about everything intricately part of your life. The very fact that he formed you and shaped you while you're in your mother's womb, and he numbered your days, he cares about you. This is what we need to understand. Our God is not a grumpy God wanting some begrudging obedience. He's a loving father who wants a child of his to follow his guidance because he knows best. And not only he created you, but he created this world. And he knows how it works and needs you to trust him um, and not go your way. And then there's a, a great verse in, in John 10, 10 that says this, the, the thief comes only kill, steal, and destroy, but God has come to give life and give it more abundantly. See, God desires that we have an abundant life. Not like the the enemy, he's not the enemy of life, he's the author of life. He's not a taker, he's a giver. And even when he takes, he's doing it for good. See, you got to understand that God wants you to have an abundant life. And he reveals it through two primary ways, a primary way and a secondary way. The first one, primary way, is through his beauty and his glory. And we call that salvation. See, God put on display his son, his glory. And he offered us that free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. See, the, offer, the world offers these temporal things that they're good things, but they want us to make it ultimate things, but they become like gravel in our mouth when we eat them. They're pleasurable for a season, then they go away. But, but God wants to save us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to put us on the firm foundation of his son, Jesus. See, the Bible is not primarily about us, guys. The Bible is about his son, Jesus, and his redemptive story of redeeming all mankind. That is what it's about. In fact, um, we see Jesus all through the scriptures. You've heard me say this a dozen times at least, about how Jesus is all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's one continuous narrative of the work of Jesus. So how does God want us 
to live this abundant life, primarily first surrendering to him and being saved, being born again, and being filled with the Spirit. The second thing is the secondary way is that he makes known us the path of life. This is where we come down to the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And again, it's a secondary manner, but it is a way that God leads us to an abundant life. In fact, Psalms 1611 says this, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill, fill me with joy in your presence, pleasures in your right hand forevermore. Not the cheap kind of fleeting pleasures that we enjoy for a moment, then leave guilt and shame, but the type of pleasures that are never ceasing. That's the kind of joy that God wants to create in your life. But you've got to trust him. You've got to lean into him. You've got to know that he's good, gracious, and generous. This is a beautiful, what I call a beautiful obedience God is trying to lead us to. He's trying to woo us, call us into submission. He's not trying to rob us of anything. He has joy that's not fleeting that he wants to give to us. That's what God has for us. See, we know that God is working something out in our lives. This does not necessarily mean that we're able to always understand what purpose God has in it. See, the this is the positive test of genuine faith. Someone expressed it this, this way, and I couldn't find the quote, who actually quoted it, but it's a great quote. It's this. The acid of grief is a test, test the coins of belief. The acid of grief, test the coin of belief. In other words, when we're put in the fire, when we're put in uh, the furnace, all the impurities that are not of God begin to rise to the top and be, begin to be scraped off. So we're left with a pure reflection of who God is in our soul. And when God begins to shape us and mold us. See, patient is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We will never become patient by trying to become patient. But neither will the Holy Spirit suddenly place it on us. It comes through suffering and testing. We shall never be perfect. That is, completely fully mature. Christians... Christian without patient. Paul confirms this later when he writes the Romans. We also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Romans 5, 3 through 5. So the second thing I want you to write down about the lens, the first one is, as Jesus followers, we need to view trials as a pathway to produce durability and maturity. The second one is, as Jesus followers, trials remind us of our desperate need for God. Our desperate need for God. Listen, we cannot do this life on our own. There's no way. We desperately have to call out God for wisdom. You know what I noticed in, in the book of Proverbs? I studied that over and over, and I began to see those three words happen. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. It's a great book to read on a daily basis, whatever day of the week it is, 31 uh, chapters there, so it works out perfectly with the days of the month. But this is what I realized, is knowledge is like a, let me give you an illustration. It's like a basic understanding book knowledge. So if you're wanting to be a master mechanic and you go to class 
and you begin to study the book. So you begin to understand the knowledge of all the parts of the engine, right? And you see it, and you maybe see 3D images of it on paper, and this is the knowledge. Then the understanding is you get to work with a master mechanic, and you get to put your hands on the engine. Maybe you get to change the oil or change some belts, and you begin to work, and slowly over time, maybe you'd even do some harder jobs with the master mechanic. And over time and through trials and through different jobs on those and difficulties trying to fix those engines, over time, you'll become this master mechanic. So you have, you have knowledge, then you have the working understanding, and then eventually you have wisdom. This is where God is wanting to take us to a point where we begin to see situations through his eyes and we don't view it through our lens anymore. We begin to see people and situations. And immediately now, we can see something happening. And we're like, mm, yep, I'm staying, from, I'm staying away from there. Or you step into it and bring heaven on earth, right? You, 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 you begin to make peace and you begin to help the situation. You begin to practice the principles of the gospel in that situation. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to cry out for knowledge and for understanding and for wisdom for him because he wants to give it to us. But we have to ask. God wants us to ask. Now, with those two lenses, we also need to know that there's two fights going on in the middle of trials. And this is the first one. The fight of doubt, right? The fight of doubt. Now, I will say when you read that text... That's pretty harsh, right? He says, when you ask, don't doubt, because if you doubt, you're like a, you know, being washed back and forth in the sea, you're a double-minded man, unstable, and all that. That's pretty rough, isn't it? That's pretty tough. I, I will just be honest. When I read that, I'm like, man, how do I, how do I not doubt? I mean, you're, you're going to have doubt. I think you have to, again, you take text and you go, and you go back and look over all of Scripture. And so we have a story in Mark 9 where we see this man bringing his daughter or his child, son, I think it is. And he's possessed, right? And from a young age, he's been possessed. And he throws himself down in convulsions, foams at the mouth, throws himself in a fire. And, he's, and, he, and he says to Jesus, if you can heal him. And Jesus kind of bows up and says, what do you mean if? God can do all things. And in his desperation... He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And at that moment, Jesus healed him. Now, understanding that we're going to be times we're going to doubt. There's going to be times. That I don't know how we get around. We're, we're in this flesh and blood, and so we struggle against it. We're going to have doubt. So I believe what, what James is saying here is that when you doubt, believe that God is good. Believe that he's gracious. Believe that he's generous. But even in your doubt, cry out to God to help you in your doubt. Help you in your unbelief. Because God is a God who wants to fill you full of faith. Okay? And so understanding that. The second thing is this. So our fight in trials is with doubt. And the second one is this idea of comparison. I, I'll just tell you, comparison is awful. It's awful. You see where it talks about the rich man and the poor man, right? And how they need to be thinking the opposite, right, of what they have. Because one, 
you know, you're poor, it's great. You don't have a lot to lose, right? Your, 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 your faith is usually greater. The rich man, he's resting in his riches. They're going to perish just like the flowers, right? So he's trying to get them to see the opposite of where they're at, okay? But the reality is this. It is so hard not to compare, isn't it? Listen, do you realize, I don't know if you know this, you probably do. There's been multiple studies now, medical studies, on social media. Do you know social media is known now as a fact to cause depression? You know? Do you know why? Because you look at all everyone else's life and you think it's so much better than yours. <laughs> and you're looking at your situation like, man, their marriage is awesome. They're counting money. They're going on cruises. They're doing all these things, right? I mean, it, it doesn't start that. It just enhances it. We already struggle with it. It just enhances it, okay? So understanding that comparison is going to be a struggle we have. But listen, God is saying we're not about this world. We're about the world to come. And so this idea that we need to be living out, advancing his gospel, proclaiming his good news, that's what we're about. But understanding that comparison, we're going to struggle with it at times. And we need to bring in a perspective of spiritual things, heavenly things, because this world's going to pass away. No, never seen, right? The old country preacher says you never see a hearse. I mean, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? I mean, you can't take it with you, right? You can't. There's no way. But understanding our greatest treasure is those things, what? We're storing up. How does that work? Is we're living out the gospel in our family. We're living out the gospel with our neighbors, our coworkers. We're sharing the good news. We're trying to do everything we can to make disciples, to be the salt and light, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our neighborhoods. This is what James is challenging us to do. I want to leave you with a couple illustrations before I ask you the big question this morning. The first one is this. Um, There's a special force team um, that is the the sea, air, and land commandos known as the SEALs, right? Um, Some of you guys may know that um, they go through um, this underwater demolition school and uh, they have a, a thing called Hell Week where they literally, I mean, take them pretty much almost to the brink of death at times. Uh, there's stories that are, are crazy where, you know, they have, to, they have to have the water and they have the uh, weights uh, in the pool and they go up and come back down, go up and come back down. And there's this point where this guy passes out, right? And they have to go and rescue him. And, you know, the first thing he does when they bring him to, after they have to give him mouth to mouth, is that, did he make it, Right? I mean, this is the mentality of these guys. Um, But understanding, when you look at that school, people would say, well, that sounds torturous. That sounds awful. Why would they do that? But the whole purpose is what? To bring about and to shape them into a soldier. So when when the, the commander calls them, that they can do the job that they're called to do. And guys, we need to understand that we are in a battle. We're in war. And God is shaping us and molding us. And it may be in this moment that he's using situations in your life that also he's going to shape you and use you now. So when you get to that point where that testing comes, that you'll pass that test, but also that you'll be used for his glory and you're good. So understand that. And the the second story I want to leave you with is this. Uh, I recently heard a story of a 
a father who um, had to go to the emergency room with his daughter. And uh, they had a situation where they had a boil um, and they had to lance it. And this girl was young, probably about eight. And let's just say when they, she found out what was going down, uh, that nurse uh, was no match for her, right? And, uh, and he had to lean on to his daughter and look her in the eyes and tell her, I'm sorry, honey, but we've got to do this. And with cries and crying out, don't do this, don't hurt me, don't, don't cut me, don't whatever. There was that look in the father's eyes saying, honey, we have to. We have to cut this out of you. If not, it could eventually kill you. So understand, some of you may be in the midst today that you're in a situation right now that you feel like the Heavenly Father is leaning on your chest and you're struggling because you don't want this to happen. But understanding that God has to cut this thing out of you to make you better. And that's what trials happen. That's how things happen in your life sometimes. You know, today's Father's Day, and, and I, I want to challenge our fathers especially, is that there is a 93% chance that your kids will follow the spiritual direction of your life. Do you understand that? 93%. And so I want to challenge you fathers to hold fast. Many of you are struggling. Many of you are in a, a trial right now. And you, you feel the pressure. You're feeling the heat. Maybe you want to jump ship. You may be tempted to, to abandon your post. But I want to encourage you to stay f- steadfast. In fact, we have a gift for you when you leave today. Make sure you grab in the back. It's just a little dog tag. And it has a, a little emblem on it. And it says, um, hold fast on it. And it's got an anchor on it. And the reason I put an anchor on it, when you look at the early church, a lot of people think it was the fish, but actually the anchor was the first kind of representation of the symbol of, of Christians. And I think, I don't know all the reasons why, but maybe it's because so many disciples were fishermen, but I think it maybe is that verse where it says that Jesus is an anchor for our soul, okay? And so fathers, I want to encourage you today, you can put it around your neck, you can put it on a keychain, understanding that you have a great responsibility in your family, even if you're not a father yet, okay? We have a great responsibility in our community to hold fast to the faith of the gospel. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Lead pastor Rick Nicely will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing His kingdom through obedience to His great commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website spotswoodls.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram spotswoodls Now here's Rick with a conclusion to this week's sermon. So I want to leave you with this big question and this is for everybody. Are you holding fast to Jesus through the trials in life knowing that God is working it out for His glory and for your good? Are you holding fast I want to encourage you to cling to the anchor of your soul, Jesus Christ. He's doing a work, and you've got to trust Him. You've got to lean into Him. You need need to know that He's doing it for your good and for His glory.
As we, as we walk through this journey of James, there's going to be a, a lot of a stuff that as we talk about it. Sometimes it's going to be hard to listen to. It's going to be hard to hear because when I read it, I struggle. But I, I, I want to encourage you this. If we read James and we study it, and you think all I have to do is add on this action or add on this behavior or add on this principle, you're going to miss it. In fact, what you're going to do is become religious. You can become whitewashed on the outside. See, the book of James principles can only be applied through the, the understanding of the gospel and understanding that the only way you can truly live out what James asked you to live out and what the scriptures ask you to live out is through a personal relationship with Jesus. That's it. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus. So I want to encourage you. If that's something that needs to be renewed today, something that needs to be started today, I want to encourage you, make that known today. We'll be some people up be up front. We want to pray with you, we want to encourage you, whatever it may be. If you want to follow through with believers' baptism, we want to celebrate with you in that. Whatever it is. You can stand. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than any to his sword. God, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do. Change our hearts and lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Rick began a 10-part series in the book of James today on the ground gospel, and it was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, June 17, 2018. These podcasts are available weekly on iTunes and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to SpotswoodLS.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.